As always, this episode is sponsored by my go-to stop for anything makeup, Revlon. Hey everybody, I'm Ashley Graham, and this is Pretty Big Deal, where confidence is key. Every episode, I get to pick the brains of brilliant, inspiring, honest, new and old friends who are a pretty big deal. Today we are talking to real life superhero, Amanda Wynn. Amanda is the CEO of civil rights startup, Rise. At the age of 28, Amanda has already written and passed 27 laws for 72 million people. Amanda Wynn is in the house. (laughs) Okay, so I definitely want to get into Rise and all your activism and that you're doing. And it's just, it's remarkable, it's incredible, and, and it's groundbreaking. But I have to talk to you about your first true love. Which is space. Yes. I mean, it's like, it, it's so fun to even just say. Oh, thanks. So tell me about where your love of space came about. Wow. I've always loved space. I think one of the first memories that I have is looking up at the sky and just marveling at how beautiful the sky is. You know, I think there's something so humbling and also so aggrandizing about space. Like when you're looking at up at the sky, it's actually the past. You know, that photon from that star has traveled billions of years to come to your eye. Girl, so you are so special. deep with this space. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, but also, you know, we are but a blink of an eye in the universe, right? This is true. So, you know, if I ever feel small, I always think to myself, you know, I'm able to not only understand that I'm alive, I'm cognizant, but I'm also able to love and feel things. And how special is that? You know, mm-hmm. and so that photon that's reached my eye, I'm, I'm going to use it to the best of my ability. Wow. I feel like that was poetry. Oh, thanks. <laughs> right? Like, do we need like a few little snaps? Like, yes. <laughs> Okay, so let's talk about Rise because this is such an important company that you've built. And it's it's so much amazing activism and I want everybody to know about it, especially every woman needs to know about this because yeah. the statistics are crazy. Yes. But I want you to start from the beginning okay. and tell me why did you create Rise and what is it? Yeah, so my first love is astrophysics and space. Clearly. Um, Uh, Poetry. Super, super nerd. (laughs) But along the way, um, life happened. So RISE is a civil rights nonprofit. We help people pen their first civil rights into existence. And it started from a very personal place for me. Mm -hmm. You know, I am a rape survivor. And I remember walking out of the hospital after my rape kit procedure was done. Most people don't know that rape kits, which is the process by which forensic evidence is collected, can last from three to seven hours. So oh mine gosh. was six hours long. Oh my gosh. Yeah, most it's people don't know three that. Three to seven hours? That's right. And it's because the crime scene is your body. And so it's not what only. What are they doing exactly? It's everything. So it's not only life saving medical attention, but it's also DNA um, collection, it's photographs, it's everything. Because again, you are the crime scene. And I remember walking out and I was handed a taxi voucher to go back to the place I was raped. And I'd never felt more alone. You know, I I never fully understood the definition of lonely until that moment. I realized that the moment I was like, okay, well, where do I go from here? And as any millennial, I just went to Google And it was so difficult to figure out what my basic rights were, 
A really catalytical moment for me was walking into my local area rape crisis center and there weren't enough seats for us in the waiting room. And I thought to myself, oh my gosh, if I have a Harvard Law professor as my attorney and we're still struggling like this, what, what is everybody else that doesn't have my resources? What, what are they going through? And that's when I realized that my story was not mine alone mm -hmm. and that I had a choice. I could accept the injustice or rewrite the law. And so I rewrote it. It literally started off with one email. I literally just mass emailed everyone. Wait a second. Okay, wait. First, let's back up. Yeah, because yeah, like, yeah. whoa. <laughs> okay, what city were you in? Oh, so my rape happened at Harvard. Oh, um, it happened on campus. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so Where I Where you turned... were attending. Do you know what the statistics are of girls who get raped at school? Yeah, so it really varies. Um, one in three um, or one in five. Why does it vary? It depends on the reporting. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And so sometimes when schools report and the numbers are higher, that's actually good. Uh -huh. It's because the school is actually giving up the data and making it public. Okay. When there are colleges that say, oh, there's nothing that's happened here, that's when you know that there's definitely cover-up that's happening. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so you're in the cab, mm -hmm. you call your local, uh, the place where you, where you went. Yes, a rape crisis center. Rape crisis center, mm -hmm. thank you. And you went there immediately? I went there... Within the week or something? Yeah, I went there within, I think, the first 48 hours. Okay. Yeah. Now, did you make a phone call to your mom and dad? Like, <gasps> wow, you really yeah. you really were, like, alone. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of people may relate to this, but I didn't know how my parents would react. Right. You know, and I came from such a traditional culture oh. that, you know, I, I really didn't know um, how to break it to them. And so I relied on my friends. Mm. I remember one of my friends, I just texted him and he helped me wash my sheets. Oh my you know, gosh. And it was such, it's such a small thing, yeah. but it meant so much to me. And my friends just came and were just with me. You know, we actually recently did this piece um, where the survivors that I work with gave advice about what to tell someone if someone has shared with them that they're you uh, that they're a survivor. That's a fantastic idea. Yeah, yeah. What, what did you get out of that? So one of the first things that we recommend people do is to thank the person because it's a really special thing that someone has shared with you, something so personal. It is so personal. Yeah. So just say thank you for sharing. You know, I know how difficult it can be and I'm here for you. Well, first of all, thank you for sharing, Amanda. <laughs> Seriously, because this is a big deal. Yeah, yeah. The other thing is to try and not give advice because you might not know, you know, what they're going through and everyone has different circumstances. You know, there's been such immense progress from Me Too, but there's still so much stigma about being a, a victim. Mm -hmm. You know, that's why we have the word survivor, right? We want to let people make their own decision because rape is about power. It's about agency being taken away. Mm -hmm. So in that moment, being there for someone means being present, but also giving them the agency to make the choice that's right for them. And then that same week, you call your, your local rape crisis center, and then all of a sudden, you're like, okay, nothing is working. Yep. Nobody's answering my call. The line is wrapped around the building. And that's when you're like, I have to change the law? Yeah. Who thinks like that? <laughs> well, <laughs> what happened was... I realized uh, that in Massachusetts, and this is before my law passed there, that rape kits, before they were tested, 
could be destroyed before the statute of limitations. So they were destroyed in six months, even if the statute of limitations was 15 years. And Wait, yeah. what? Mm-hmm. So it, wait, yeah. you can you can file a claim mm-hmm. that you were raped with for 15 years. Yeah, that's right. But your rape kit yes, is destroyed. Happens. Your evidence months. is gone in six months. That's right. That's right. So they set you up for failure. Exactly. That's exactly what happens. You know, a lot of survivors don't report. And that's because they don't believe that the criminal justice system will be there for them. And they're not wrong. You know, the worst thing that happened to me wasn't being raped. It was being betrayed by America's justice system. Oh, I just got chills. And I remember just being so frustrated. You know, I did what people tell survivors to do, which is go to the police, tell your story, go pursue, you know, the legal path. And yet there were these double standards. So... Convicted rapists have the right to hold on to the evidence for the duration of their conviction. But okay. survivors don't. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Mm-hmm. Convicted? Convicted. Rapists. Convicted. And it's very difficult to get a conviction. Convicted rapists. And then on top of that, other Class A violent felonies, like murder, never have their evidence destroyed. That's why cold cases are solved. But in this crime, the evidence is destroyed. And so that was so unfair. I mean, the pure look of shock on my face says it all Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because this is just like such news to me. I mean, because I'm like, you know, many other people who have watched many Law & Order SVUs. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right. And you go in, you hear about the issue and and then it's solved and it might take a week to do it. But like, (laughs) you know, you're talking years. Yes. And you're also talking about like the evidence being thrown away. In New York, it was 30 days. 30 days. And we worked with survivors who had their kids destroyed. How do they get justice? Yeah, that's a great question. Justice can be defined by so many different things. Mm -hmm. And for so many of us at RISE, it's not personal justice, but it's making sure that no one has to go through what we went through. Mm -hmm. For me, that moment was when... You know, I, I saw the, the civil rights get passed in the United States Congress. So that's what RISE is doing right now. Yes. Yeah, so what happened was yes, tell us I everything. sent out this mass email. How'd you get the emails? <laughs> it was just all it was my entire inbox. <laughs> I was like, who do I know? And I literally BCC'd everyone. And I said... Wait, you BCC'd, CC'd, emailed yeah. Congress? Yes. Yes. Actually, yes. Wow. So actually, oh, yeah, this is, that's a great question. A lot of people kind of forget this because Congress seems like this hallowed institution, but these people work for us, right? So their emails are actually online. It doesn't seem like they work for us, really. Uh, yeah, that we, we can get into that because that's actually true. There's yeah. a ton of study. There's, a, I think, a Princeton study that came out that showed that, you know, when you march and it doesn't feel exactly that you're making a difference, it's because that's kind of true. And it has a lot to do with the way that our campaign finance system is set up. So you're saying like, I do one of those text messages, like when they're like, hey, you want to fight against this? Text back. That's not but doing let me, anything. Let me tell you how we hacked it. So Okay, okay, tell me. Yeah, so I need to usually, be Amanda Wynn with my text messages. <laughs> but definitely. So at this point, we've passed 27 laws for 72 million people. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what the laws are? I mean, do I don't want Yeah, you- no, no, of course, yeah. The majority of them are civil rights for rape survivors. And all of our laws have passed unanimously. So we figured out how to hack the system. And I'm happy to share with you. Okay. Is everybody listening? <laughs> so usually 
it takes 10 to 15 years to pass a federal bill. It's no secret that Congress is gridlocked, right? This hyperpartisan times. But we were able, a couple 20-year-olds, to pass this unanimous bill in seven months. And the statistic for that is 0.016%. But we've repeated it 26 times, right? And so here's the catch. My biggest pet peeve is when people say, call your member of Congress. It's not actually true. <laughs> the way that Congress works is that there are only a certain number of people who can actually move your bill forward through an authority called agenda-making power. So it's people who literally can put your bill onto the agenda to be voted. That's the only way a bill gets advanced. So you call that person. That's right. So here's the really important part. In order to win the game, you have to know the rules of the game. These are the rules. So when a bill gets introduced, you know that cartoon, like a bill becomes a law. Uh, it's like Schoolhouse Rock. Basically. I was going to say, you probably know better than me. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yeah, when a bill becomes a law, yeah. I know that cartoon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what does it look like? Um, it's uh, it's like literally a cartoon bill. It has a ribbon around it. Um, and it's okay, got it. Really I, know you're, I know you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> what they don't tell you is that when it gets introduced, it's assigned to a committee. So nearly all civil rights issues gets assigned to judiciary. This is where most bills die because in order for that bill to get advanced to the floor of a chamber, Congress has two chambers, House and Senate, in order for it to get advanced to the floor for the entire chamber to vote on, it needs to pass that committee. And the only way that it can pass a committee is if the chair of that committee puts it onto the agenda to be voted on. So literally, if the chair doesn't put it on the agenda to be voted on, it dies. That means that the sole power is up to this one person. So which chair do you know? <laughs> yeah. So at that time, the Senate Judiciary Chair was Chuck Grassley. And we convinced Chuck Grassley to put it onto the agenda. And once Grassley put it on and it was voted on, it moved to the Senate floor. And that's Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell controls the agenda of the Senate floor. Same thing in the House. We put it onto the House Judiciary. It's the same process. And then it was the Speaker. At that time, it was Speaker Paul Ryan who put it onto the agenda. So we were super bipartisan because it was a Republican Congress and a Democrat President Obama signed it into law. Oh my gosh, mm -hmm. congratulations. Yeah. This conversation is so great, but just give me two seconds. New moms know it's way easier to fill an online cart than push a real life cart with a baby. We're all doing lots of online shopping right now. And my favorite way to do it is with Honey. It's a free tool that automatically finds the best promo codes and applies them at checkout. Hello, game changer. So if you're shopping at one of your favorite stores like Target, Sephora, basically any of them really, all you have to do is click this little box and it automatically applies the best coupons in seconds. Boom. That used to take like 30 minutes on Google and who even knew if you were actually getting the best discount. I've been buying so much for Isaac, but also for me. I've saved 30 bucks on this lounger, hello, that I've been living in. And my friend just told me that she saved $250 on a mattress of all things. It's such a high to see that discount in your cart. <laughs> Love it. And if you don't trust me, trust that 18 million people use Honey and they've helped save people over two billion. That's right, billion dollars. So I got you guys hooked up. 
Not using Honey is literally passing up on free money. It's free to use and installs in just a few seconds. Plus, it's backed by PayPal, so you know is good. So get Honey for free at joinhoney.com slash pretty big deal. That's joinhoney.com slash pretty big deal. So for anyone who wants to pass law, just to review. Yeah, please, layman's terms. No, no, no. It's, it's really important because if you call your member of Congress and they're not actually a chairman or a chairwoman or the Speaker of the House, then all they can do is talk to these people to put it onto the agenda. So, like, mm. cut out the middle person. Just go directly to the people who actually have the authority. Concentrate your effort onto that. Currently, right now, the Speaker of the House is Nancy Pelosi. So concentrate your effort into Nancy. So do you have a relationship with her? I would love to. You know, we've seen each other in passing. She's supportive. But yeah, yeah, you know, everyone. She voted on it. And she voted yes. So I'm really grateful to her for that. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I feel like I just got a little bit smarter. <laughs> I'm so glad. What kind of bill do I want to pass? That's right. Hmm. That's well, I know who to come a, to. Yeah. I like, mean, it's kind of an interesting question to ask yourself. Like, what is something that you want to see? What is something mm-hmm. in your life where you want to see justice? Yeah. You want to see something changed for other people? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, maybe I'm going to go home and ask myself that question tonight. Yeah. So that's a great segue to our one of our newest programs. Boom. Yeah. Look at you segueing. Oh, it's not even your so podcast. <laughs> segue, sister. Thank you. I feel so empowered. <laughs> Thank you, Ashley. <laughs> so after passing all of these laws unanimously, we figured we were doing something right. And the best part of what we have been doing is making sure that it's people in the community themselves that are passing these laws. So I didn't pass these 27 laws. I trained other people, and they've trained other people to pass these laws. Mm-hmm. And so what we did was we opened what's called a civil rights accelerator. And... Essentially, we created a a training school. So if you have an idea for any issue, you can apply to Rise Justice Labs. That's what we call it. And if you're accepted, we will give you seed funding. We will train you and we will help you navigate through these systems. Because it's not most people's fault that we don't know what the system is like. Right now, there are a lot of lobbyists in Washington And the way that that works is the profit model is for a premium, you can pay these lobbyists and they'll connect you to a senator and maybe things will work out. But that means then that democracy is for the highest bidder. Mm. And that doesn't mean that it's democracy after all, Mm -hmm. because it's really supposed to be, you know, for the people. And so that's what we're trying to do to make democracy more accessible. And so we welcome applications from everyone. What is the biggest misconception that people think about that they cannot change the government or have any kind of influence in governmental change? That's such a great question. (laughs) It's that you actually can, right? You actually have the ability because it is your constitutional right. Mm -hmm. Coming back to this idea that uh, people might feel afraid to talk to ex-senator or whomever. But these representatives represent us and they're literally public servants to serve you and so don't be afraid to straight up cold email their chief of staff and say this is why i need a meeting look there's never a more convenient season for change Mm -hmm. and since the beginning of time people have always told activists no no no, it's it's not the right time 
you know, they told the suffragists this, they told civil rights activists this, you know, and they'll keep on saying it. So just keep on keeping on. Yeah, we've seen many people in history just yeah. like push through and look where we are today. There's a lot of fighting mm-hmm. that we still have to do for justice. Yeah. But, you know, thank God we have people like you here. I want to go back to testifying in front of Congress yeah. because that sounds like a kind of a scary place to be. <laughs> A little bit. Yeah. What yeah. was that like? Yeah. So I've testified three times. Three? In of, yeah. In front of Congress. In judiudiciary, that's the exact same seat where all Supreme Court justices sit to, to testify. It's the same Okay. Seat. So walk us through the process. Yeah. Like you go where to walk into where? Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> and who um, did you have to email, girl? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I, we got no, that part. All, all of Congress. <laughs> so there's this reception room. It's okay. kind of. Um, nondescript, actually. You walk into it. And then there's this antechamber room, they call it. And it's where all the senators gather before they come out. And it's, um, it's like a horseshoe shape. And the chair sits right in the middle and gavels in. All right? And then there's this technical term. It's called a ranking member. So the leadership positions, the chair, the speaker, that's determined by who has the majority of seats in that particular chamber. Okay. So it was all Republicans that I mentioned during 2016 because it was a Republican Congress. Now the House is Democrat, and that's why Nancy Pelosi is the speaker. Mm -hmm. But technically, when you start hearing the chair, let's just uh, use our current Senate judiciary, is a Republican. So that's Senator Lindsey Graham. The ranking member refers to the minority party's lead, and that's Senator Dianne Feinstein right now. So both of them will gavel in, they'll make remarks, and then each witness will have five minutes. You're a witness. Yes, to make a statement. After you give your testimony, your five-minute remarks, they grill you. So you've probably seen a lot of people at hearings lately get grilled. Grilled. That's, That's what it's like. And you can't cry. Yeah. And you can't freak out. That's right, because you're there to represent your cause. I love where this is going, but just hold that thought. If you know me, you know I'm all about self-care. So since I'm at home in Nebraska, one of my new favorite self-care practices is all about scents and making the house smell so good. And Vitruvia is an amazing family company that makes these diffusers and these really cool oils that I have right here. And they have tons of different scents. I'm currently using Quiet. Hello. It reminds me just to take a deep breath and chill out. They even have these really cool mist rollers that are great for on the go. You can put them on your temples, your wrists. Head to vitruvi.com slash pretty big deal for a special offer and get 20% off with the code PBD. So to prepare, uh, there's this political term, it's called a murder board. It's like a mock trial. So your team will pretend to be the Senate. They it's will... like prepping for an act, like a, a role totally. like in a film. Yeah, and then basically they try to like tear you down, try to murder you, to get under your skin so that you cry in private so that when you're actually on the stand that you uh, don't. Wait, so your team treated you like crap. <laughs> And yes, talk to I you asked really. Them to. You were like, please. <laughs> yes. Did you cry in front of them to get it out? It, it was the first time for sure. The first time that I prepped for a testimony for sure. That always happens. Yeah. And so we have actually a lot of trauma and informed people and training. Yeah. Um, to, you have to, to help survivors. Yeah. And then you'll notice this too, but 
you can have your team sitting behind you during hearings. So sometimes you'll see people like yes. talk to their attorneys. Yes. So yeah, that's your your attorneys and senior advisors are sitting behind you. Well, at least you have a support system that can walk in with you and you can yeah. feel a little bit more like you've got allies in the room and not just a bunch of foreign faces looking back at you. Totally, totally. The first time that I testified in the United States Senate, it was actually a really disheartening experience for me. I was the consensus witness, which means both Democrats and Republicans asked me to come. And we were all supposed to meet with the senators in that antechamber room. And when I walked into the room, the receptionist refused to believe that I was a witness. I was the only um, person of color. I was younger than the mm -hmm. other witnesses. And at that moment, I had to make a choice. You know, I was like, oh, well, do I, am I supposed to be mad and, you know, demand that they know who I am and, you know, let me back? Or what do I do? You know, and I sat back down and I watched them escort the other witnesses in front of me. One of the senator's counsels recognized me and said, you know, apologized and brought me back. But I felt devastated, Ashley. That was um, the beginning. Yeah. Like and I reached out to some other incredible women of color activists, Ajin Poo and Alicia Garza, and asked them, you know, what do I do? Like, I've written a law for this country already. Like, I don't know what else I can do to get treated fairly. And they wrote back with some advice that I really hold dear. And it's that to just keep going. I remember it's just like, keep swimming like Dory, <laughs> but just to keep going because no matter what industry you're in, there will be a point, if you excel, that you will be the first. And it will happen, unfortunately. And just know that you know this is the cost of trailblazing. And so just know that you're not alone, that there are all these other women that are cheering you on, that there's this community out there, but also that you're making it a little easier for someone else. And so the next time that the Senate asked me to come back and testify, it was a hearing on my law. And so I got to help choose the witnesses. And I chose Terry Crews to back me up. Yes, <laughs> Terry Crews. Yes. And so literally I walked into the same room, the same receptionist, and Terry Crews was behind me. Well, she better have known who Terry Crews was. <laughs> yeah. It was me and Terry. It was great. Nobody questioned me that. <laughs> so what, exa what bill exactly did you get passed? So it's the Sexual Assault Survivor Bill of Rights a bill of rights that enshrines a couple of very basic things. Now, the first one is to not have your rape kit be destroyed before the statute of limitations. Oh, wait, so no, the rape kits cannot be destroyed That's anymore. Right. Yeah. Ever. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. You just changed so many women's lives. 72 million. Well, I guess men, too. Yeah, In a lot of ways, there's so many women that do come forward, mm -hmm. but so many men don't come forward. Yeah. Terry talks about that a lot. He does talk mm -hmm. about that. And what a riveting you know, testimony he has had, too, yeah. publicly. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'm just shocked by, like, how... It wasn't an easy process, but like it's something that if you would have had, would you have gone through with your trial um, against your yeah, rapist? That's a great question. It would have probably helped, yeah. you know? But there are some other rights that are uh, in the Bill of Rights. So the right to be notified what your rights are. So oh, so basic. you got more things passed. Yes, yeah. It's oh, a bill give it of to rights. us. Yes. Give it to okay. us. So the first one is your rape kit will not be destroyed. The second one is that you don't have to pay for your rape kit. So in some states, you can get charged up to $2,000. Excuse me? And if you can't afford it, you have creditors calling your home. Okay, that's wild. Yeah, that's right. This is still happening. And I'll explain that in a, a bit. But another one is the right to have 
access to your own police report. Can you imagine that? You're that's like a medical report. Exactly. That's actually the other right. So the right is to have access as a patient to your own medical records. Wait, so you couldn't have your police report or your medical that's report before? That's correct. So a lot of people ask me, wait, why did these inefficiencies, why did these weird things exist before? Yeah, why? And the honest, honest answer is that the law has a gender and that gender is not female. Well, we know that. Mm-hmm. I mean, and this so, is obvious. That's yeah. why we need Amanda Wynn to come in and change all the laws <laughs> for us. Yeah. You know, when people write these laws, they write from their own experiences. And that's why it's so important to have diversity at the table, to have people who understand different perspectives when you're creating laws for millions of people. So you believe that the first laws that were created were created by man and like... It almost seems like they were created by a man who just kind of wanted to. Oh, totally! Our sweep founding fathers. Everything <laughs> under the rugs. Yeah, I mean, our founding fathers literally put a formula on what people of color's human worth was, you know, and didn't give women the right to vote. In fact, the founding fathers didn't even give all white men the right. right. It was only land-owning white men, right? And so it's been an evolution, and I think. Really, that's why I love our democracy so much. It's because it is an experiment. You know, there's this you know, painful truth, this tradition that people take their painful living truths and they channel that into justice. Mm-hmm. And you know, I joined that tradition by penning my rights, but also by training other people to help them pen their I rights. I love that you're doing that. Yeah. Okay, so there's a statistic I want to read, and I'm sure you know it. JAMA Internal Medicine released a study. One in 16 women in the U.S.'s first sexual experience was forced or coerced. And here's my question. I mean, now that the Me Too movement is out, Mm -hmm. don't you feel like that number is going to go up? Absolutely. Now, does that number seem low to you? Yes. Is the Me Too movement helping? Absolutely. So... I mean, I remember the day when my newsfeed just filled up with people. We had passed the federal law before Me Too. And what Me Too showed was how important it is that people get access to justice. Mm-hmm. And Me Too was a global phenomenon. It still is. The world is in a moment of reckoning right now. And people are standing up and saying, yeah, this happened. The question now is, you know, what are we going to do about it? Mm-hmm. And who are we going to choose to be? And that's what we work on every day at RISE. Mm-hmm. What is RISE doing to further the cause? So when President Obama signed the federal law, we heard from over a million people. Wow. Yeah. They reached out saying, this is happening in my own community too. Can you help me do this? You you did it. So can you help me do it? Seeing is believing. Yeah. yeah. That's actually the moment where... I jumped and I I did rise full time next week. We'll be opening up the United Nations General Assembly. (laughs) Oh my gosh! Yeah, so we're flying survivors in from around the world to testify and to share their stories about why the world needs to care about this issue. So this is the worldwide survivors yes, that you're right. talking about. Yes. Okay, so explain this. I'm so excited about this for Thanks. for you and for Rise. It's going to be historic. The United Nations General Assembly has never passed a resolution on rape. That sounds really surprising or unsurprising. What does that mean? Like, they've never passed any Yeah. So any laws on rape? Yes, any resolution. So Any resolutions. Yeah, it's always been a subcategory of something else. So for instance, they've passed 
resolutions on weapons of war, and rape would be a subcategory of that. Or they've passed resolutions on violence against women, but men are also affected. And so what we're demanding is that countries stand up and say that this is an issue that deserves priority in and of itself. You know, there have been mass protests around the world, around rape cases in, in India, in France, before Me Too, after, you mm -hmm. know, and it's time that the world does something about it. And that's what we're going to be doing next week. So is this like an online initiative or? It's in person and online. Oh my God. Yeah. So, so how can we all get involved? So there's a change.org petition and we have nearly 300 100,000 signatures. It's been translated into 71 languages. When these world leaders, these presidents, royalty are there, we are delivering that petition to the United Nations. And then we are holding the first ever in history United Nations Survivor Town Hall, where these incredible survivors will be sharing their stories. And our whole thing is about bridging that divide, making sure that these leaders, these decision makers, are able to hear directly from the people. Mm -hmm. Because, look, there are a lot of experts out there and they can do a lot of great work. But the people who have the solutions to the world's most pressing problems are the people who live that problem every day. And we wanna, we wanna connect those folks. So that's what we're gonna be doing. That's gonna be an, an incredible yeah. moment for you. Yeah, we have survivors from Nigeria, a refugee from Sudan, Colombia, a defactor from North Korea. It's gonna be incredible. Well, speaking of all this good that you're doing, now you're nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize. <laughs> yeah. What? <Yeah>. Hello? <laughs> what is going through your head? When I found out, it was literally like lightning struck me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> I remember I was on the street of San Francisco and I had my bag with me. And I literally, I was going to meet some friends for brunch. I literally called them and I was like, can you please come find me? Because my eyes were like dilating. Like it was just, Who called you? It was an advisor to the um, member of Congress who nominated me. And she was like, yes, she's, she's nominating you. So I'll let you know, let you know that. Yeah, it was, it, it was incredible. Whoa, whoa. I don't even know what to ask you about this. I mean, like, how? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Like, it's just an honor to be nominated. Yeah. And the nomination is bipartisan. So it was our congresswomen from both parties standing together, putting aside their differences and saying that this is an issue that is important. Mm. And it has helped us so much. Mm -hmm. You know, when we started advocating at the United Nations, we didn't know anyone. <laughs> and so, you know, a lot of people were, would just brush us off. Same thing with the United States Congress. It's like the same cycle. Um, and now we're gonna be there with these incredible people from around the world and we're gonna speak our truths. It's been such an honor. And the most moving thing, you know, so uh, I'm the daughter of boat refugees from Vietnam. And the most moving thing was receiving letters from Vietnamese women who, yeah, who, oh my goodness, who wrote in saying how much it meant to them to see someone who looked like them yeah. be recognized. Chills. Yeah. It's a big deal to see someone that looks like you. Yeah. yeah. I'm really excited for you. <laughs> Thanks. Also, I totally forgot to say, I just saw you at New York Fashion Week. Oh, thanks. At the yes. Serena Williams show. Oh my goodness, that was so cool. Wasn't it a fun show? It was so cool, yeah. First of all, a lot of people ask me, you know, how does fashion relate to what I do? And the answer is 
Like it brings me joy. I think that you know joy is the most radical form of rebellion, mm. and so it's surviving and thriving. Um, yes. <laughs> but one of the most common questions that's asked during Fashion Week is, "What were you wearing?" Yeah, and that's all the, the time. Yeah, and that's the same question that's asked of rape survivors, right? Wow. In one context, it's incredibly empowering. It's fun, and in the other context, it's completely the opposite. And I love fashion because of this very reason. Because I want to reclaim that statement, and I want everyone to know it does not matter. And also that we can be powerful. We can have agency and feel beautiful. You know, there's a life after surviving. I'm just gonna leave it there. You are a beautiful human. Thank you for all of the activism that you're doing for yes. all of us. And thank you for coming on Pretty Big Deal today. Yeah, of course. Thank you, Amanda Wayne. Yeah, thank you. Okay, there is one more thing, though. Okay. We do a little lightning round at the end of every podcast. And you just have to fill in the blank. Okay. So, I pretty much always... Oh. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh, I don't know how to swear. (laughs) I swear I'm smart. No. Girl, we know you're smart. Please. (laughs) Can you say it again? Yes, I pretty much always... I'm hungry. Oh, you and me both. I mean, this kid has me hungry. (laughs) What's the biggest lesson you've learned this year? To not be afraid to stand up for other people. Mm, It's a big one. A lot of people need to know that. All right. What's the biggest deal you've ever made? Um, Probably with my astronaut mentor, where I was sharing with him that I wanted to do the civil rights work. And that it would put a pause on my astronaut candidacy dreams. And he said, space is going to be there. It's going to be there long after you're gone. So it'll be okay. That's awesome. Okay, finally, since you're a pretty big deal, I want to know what is a pretty big deal to you? Justice. 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 You heard it here. Thank you, Amanda Wynn. Thank you, everybody at home, for watching this episode of Pretty Big Deal with Amanda Wynn. We want to hear from you on Instagram and Twitter at Pretty Big Deal. Make sure you leave us all those comments and questions right here. You never know. We could read them right here. Pretty Big Deal is produced by Pretty Big Deal Productions and OBB Sound. 